Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Well, a few weeks ago, I talked to two moms, Stacy and Courtney, about how they turned to prescription drugs and alcohol after the death of their sons. And if you did not hear that discussion, you may want to listen to it before this one. It's episode 154, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. Now, during my talk with Stacy and Courtney, we thought it would be good to hear from their husbands in what it was like being on the other end of things. And so Stacy's husband, Jeff, and Courtney's husband, Curtis, agreed, and here we all are. So thank you and welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And even before we hit the record button, as we were talking a little bit, I was just really blessed for both of you to basically say, we're here for others. That's, that's why you came on, because you want to be here for others who have similar struggles. So before we get into the topic, I want to give you both a chance to share uh, your sons with us and what happened and what threw you into this world. So Jeff, would you share your story with us, please? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our son, his name was Brenton Christopher Smith. He was 24 years old when he uh, when he was killed in an accident, in a traffic accident. Um, he was actually just going to work one morning, and uh, his truck broke down, locked up on him, and in the middle of the road. And um, he just got out, walked over to the side, and and wanted to just really uh, you know protect people because his truck you know was in the middle of the road, and uh, he elected to go back out to try to you know slow people down to get their attention and. And unfortunately, uh, that that decision that day, you know, cost him his life because as he was trying to to, to get the people to slow down, a, a city bus had come up behind and and swerved around and didn't see him and, and hit him, and and it was just a just an accident, and um, just a tragic accident that day. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, when was that, Jeff? That was November the tenth, two thousand and fifteen. Okay, so you're six years. Six years in. Into this, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Curtis, would you share with us, please? Sure, I would. Um, Zachary Tyler, uh, baby boy, was 18 years old. Uh, actually, passed uh, from being given fentanyl from an individual he had met and only known for two weeks. Actually, passed away on March 4th of 2018 on my birthday. Oh, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, on my birthday, my son oh, passed wow. away. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's different. He had just gotten accepted into the Air Force, so he was due to leave in actually June or July, we believe it was. And he actually had a chance to leave a little bit earlier, but wanted to you know, enjoy his last summer. He mm. just happened to be crossed up with an individual that kind of befriended him and took advantage of him, and and that's what happened. He was slipping, and that's what killed him. Yeah, so. and you know, I know more details in this, which I'm not going to share, but there was some gruesomeness to it, which is part of what Courtney struggled with. And so both of these deaths were, you know, a bit on the morbid, uh, gruesome side with the details. And so both of your wives ended up on prescription drugs for anxiety and for night terrors. Now, did you know that they were getting addicted or how long did that take? Because I know they would go back to their doctor and just say it's not working and the doctor would just write out a prescription and let them have more. Was it obvious? Was it, did you know about it? 
in my case, this is Curtis, in my case, Courtney had always taken anxiety medicine, types of depression medicine, just as even as of 16 years old. But what I did notice is there was more, a little more edgy to her, a little, you know, a lot of sleeping, a lot of this, that, and the other. But what I noticed was a lot of calls to the doctor, a little more frequent. Mm. You know, things getting missing, accusations that, you know, I'm missing pills, I'm missing this, that, and the other when nobody mm. else took them. I mean, there was no other okay. way it could have been. So that's kind of when my eyes got open. It was becoming an issue for that for me. That's how I noticed it. So yeah. Okay. It was. And how? It how what was? Do you remember what the time frame was for that? Did it take oh, a while this, to really? This, no, it it didn't take okay. a while at all. I mean, we're okay. talking within the first month or so. Okay. It became obvious to me that something was mm. different already. So yeah. Okay. Jeff, yep. what about you? Uh, it's it's pretty much kind of the same. Um, I mean, I noticed pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> time frame probably several months into it, I could just see that just something wasn't right. Uh, I, you know, but the, in the same thing though, I was trying to be there for her and, and just watching that over her as well going, you know, she, I didn't blame her uh, in a sense, you know, I didn't blame her because she didn't have a place to go in a sense. So it was like, I was watching out over her too, just to make sure she was going to be okay. But because, you know, she didn't do it 24 seven. It was just one of those things. As soon as she got home from work and then until she went to bed, Hmm. Um, but I noticed it pretty quick, but I just really didn't say anything because, you know, I just know that's how she was dealing with it. Yeah. And I, I know both of them also then started a much heavier alcohol use too. And I want to go into that, but one question I thought of while you were talking is how did that affect your grieving process? Were, do you feel like you really didn't have a chance to grieve like you needed to at the beginning because kind of protecting and watching over your wives or were you able to feel like you were able to grieve in a healthy way through that process? I, I was in a sense, um, when, when the accident happened, um, we were actually living in new Orleans and I was at home, um, without a job really for the first six or seven months. So when Stacy would go to work, I myself, that's when I grieve, but I grieve by myself. And, and really with our family pets in a sense. Hmm. Um, we, we had something that, you know, displayed in the house of really the last stuff that Brenton wore. The, he actually had it on the day in the accident and we had it displayed in the house. So every day for, you know, months, hmm. for months and months, I just basically started in the, the New Testament or the Bible is what I did. And every day by myself, I would just start reading and, and just stare at those and cry. Um, and I really kind of did it by myself and, and I was okay with that because that's just how I was dealing with it. Uh-huh. Um, and for six months, I just kind of really just sat in the house and, and, and just cried and, and, and read the Bible and, and, and was trying to just understand what was going on. Yeah. Well, that, that was huge to have that time off to be able to do that. Curtis, what about you? I was probably the total opposite because of the habits that started occurring. I was a two job guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was working constantly getting off, you know, going at six, get off one job at three 30, start the other job at five. So there was no time to, I mean, it was steady go. Mm. So my mind really never had time to idle and think about what was happening. Cause like you say, you're trying to uphold your wife. Mm-hmm. You're trying to do what you think is the right thing to do, which is piece it together, hold it together. Cause obviously we have seven other children. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. So I'm trying to filter them, cover their eyes to what's happening. And that's, you know, to be honest with you, my grieving probably didn't real didn't start for me until I realized that I couldn't control a thing of this. 
that mm. none of this was in my control. I, mm. I never had control at one time and, and until I laid it down and told, you know, told Jesus, you got to take this. I've never been in control. And I thought I was, mm. but the grieving process took me a little later okay. when, when I had, didn't have to work two jobs to support a habit that was happening. So gotcha. it took, mm-hmm. long, took me a little longer. Mm. Okay. So when did you notice that the alcohol was starting to be misused? Curtis, I know um, in talking to Courtney, she said that was like immediate. I mean, like the day you died, people brought beer in and she just started drinking. Yep. And it didn't stop for till 86 days ago. Mm. And that was part of my two job happening, you know, and through that process, a lot of what I had was fear. You know, what am I going to expect? You know, I would be at home working one job, getting a phone call in the school saying, are you coming to get your kids? My, my wife didn't work. What do you mean when I, I got to come get my kids? Come home and, you know, she'd be passed out. I mean, this was a, this was an ordeal for three and a half straight years. And then she, you know, don't get me wrong. She tried. Yeah. She popped yeah. Work, She tried. She'd have mm-hmm. a day or two a week here. You know, like I tell you, you, you don't blame. And a matter of fact, you're going to bind it for her when she asks you to, she's begging you to yeah, you, you feel like you have to, you know, you, you're seeing your baby crumble in front of you. your wife is, what do you do? Hmm. I mean, you're doing what you think is the right thing at the time. And then you sit back and go, man, what, what are we doing? So yeah, it's uh, 86 days. I finally been able to take my first breath and I have to work two jobs. So it's been a, uh, hmm. it's been a, a different breath for me right now. So it's been hmm. rough, but here we are believing and, and pushing forward. So yeah, stop. Cause that would, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Carry the name. We're the ones that's going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. It's our job. So Jeff, how was it for you with Stacy with the alcohol? Was that something that she kept hidden from you for a while? Cause she was the way she described it. She was very much a, a functioning drunk <laughs> for the most part it, until yeah. she was home until she knew she wasn't going to be out and about or at work kind of a thing. She was, she was, like I said, it was a, you know, she showed up to go to work in the morning and, and, you know, she got off in the evening. But when she got off in the evening, you know, she would start drinking and stuff like that until she got ready to go to bed. And, you know, she she was just a, a functioning drinker. You know, that's just the way it was. And this went on, you know, for, for several years. And at some point in time, and I don't remember the exact time, I had to start working again. And unfortunately, the work that I was doing in New Orleans wasn't there. So in order for me to do some stuff, I had to revert to moving back to Texas. And that created even a bigger issue because now I'm not with my wife. Mm. Now I'm not able to, to, to be there every night. I could only hear it through phone conversations. And, and as you, you know, you, you, you know, I've been married for you know 28 years. Um, I can tell on the phone, yeah. you know, whether it's three drinks, four drinks or a bottle or whatever. So um, it got a little bit more difficult. Um, but in the same time, I still knew what was going on because I could just tell, and there was no hiding it. There was no hiding it. She never hit anything. And it started pretty much from, from day one, from, from the time of the funeral, it, it started with, with, you know, calling the doctor to getting some prescription stuff to the alcohol coming and, and stuff like that. And it took several years before we finally realized, and there was a specific day that to me was a game changer, but. Um, and it, it come when I was away from home, but, um, mm. it, when it was several, several years into it, but that day it will always stick in my, in my mind. Hmm. Now your wives were very raw and real and honest in their talk with me. 
And, you know, they, they did share some details of some of the things that they're not proud of. And I'm sure it's hard, but would either of you be willing to share some of maybe the ugliness of what happened? You know, how did you, how did you get through this? What did you do? Like when your wife would turn on you sometimes in, in that kind of a state? Well, I'll be honest with you. My wife went to jail for uh, CDV. We, she was a uh, very physical drinker when she drunk, and my wife didn't handle it well. And we're talking from six in the morning till until you went to bed, she was drinking. So mm-hmm. there were moments when you know, she would get physical. And there's moments that I've had restaurants call me and say, hey, we found your wife's phone. She's passed out here at a restaurant. Your two kids are in a booth. Can you come get her? Uh, you know, these things happen. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, that's my best friend. At the end of the day, I married yeah. her for better or worse. That's that's my baby. So mm-hmm. there, there was never a, a, an idea of me turning my back. That's 18 years of that's my girl. Uh-huh. So that that wasn't ever a thought for me. It was, what can we do to fix this? Uh-huh. And that's that's all I've ever thought, and that's all I'll ever think. Well, and if your if your heart is, she's hurting. You know, sure. this is she's hurting. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. The last thing you'd want to do would be to turn your back on on her. Never. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I describe it as we're more like a. You know, you go to a store and you buy a refurbished lawnmower. We're refurbished. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new about this. It's not. Yeah, uh-huh. there's a, new is good and fresh. I'll never be good and fresh, but I'll adapt to my, my surroundings. And, and I have a goal of you know, becoming a better Christian follower. It really means a lot to me. I'm going to school to get my biblical studies degree. I'm almost done with it. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just want to keep pushing to get closer to where I need to be so I can hold this family because it's my job to carry us. And I have to carry my son's name. I mean, I have to teach my kids that this is their brother because, you know, I have young children. Uh-huh. I have a five-year-old and a six-year-old. You know, as long and as well as a tw- another 24 year old child up to that age. But we have to carry his name on because nobody else is going to do it. And I, and I want to leave my children with what, how important Christ is to have in your life and how you'll never do without with Christ. You'll never need or want. And also that my last name means everything to me and family is everything to me. And that's what I want to represent. That's what I'm trying to do. So that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. Lord. We're pushing. We're push, push, push. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeff, did you have anything to add to that as far as? Well, you know, you know there was just a, there was just a couple of times that, you know, um, me and Stacy in 28 years, you know, she's the sweetest, most loving person you, you could imagine. Giving. And, um, <laughs> and giving. Um, there were in, in those, those moments, there's been two times that really stand out that is uh, the bad side. The drinking got to the, the stage of me kind of leaning over to tell her she was done. And, and I know she won't mind me saying this because it's true. It was real. It happened. And she reached up, kind of slapped me in the face. And, you know, and that's happened twice. And and I understood. But the, the thing that kind of stood out to me was even during those times, you know, I was able to just kind of lean over quietly, whisper in her ear and say, OK, you know better. And that is enough. And it's almost like just that little calm talk. She was like, OK, wow. Yeah. hmm that 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 was that was the line right there um and it was something that i just calmly you know just said hey you know no you know Mm -hmm. that's you know you you know better and and it was like she immediately knew it happened you know those two little times that happened early on during during uh after the accident and stuff like that so um those are the two times that really just stood out but the biggest deal was just the 
you know, the, the drinking and the prescription drugs. Um, mm-hmm. She wasn't hateful. She wasn't really mean. It was just how she got lost in her little world. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to numb that pain. Right. Yeah. I, I know when I talked to Courtney and Stacy, one thing that was important to Courtney was how it affected her family. Curtis, how did you see that affecting the family? Were you able to, you mentioned something about trying to shield them from it, hide them from it. Sure. Um, One of our daughters actually moved out. Uh, She, she actually moved. She moved out uh, with a friend and decided that she couldn't handle it. And, you know, the other children, I'll be honest with you, they didn't like being around those moments. They love their mama through and through, but those moments were tough. Because like I tell you, my wife's a true redhead. She is mm-hmm. a firecracker. She's mm-hmm. wide open, son. And she she is a, she's a fighter, no doubt, and um, in, in all the ways. But she has a heart of gold. She loves her babies. But there were just times that the alcohol just made her what she wasn't. Trying to oh, mask exactly. who she, yeah. it, it, it made my wife totally who she was not. So, mm-hmm. you know, the young ones, I think I, I did pretty well. It was the older ones who could see it and understand what was happening that I had a hard time covering their eyes. Mm-hmm. They're, they, you know, they're knowledgeable of this. They see it. Yeah. They knew what this was. And two little ones didn't. So mm-hmm. that's, that, that, that's what we dealt with. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeff, I know you didn't have kids at home, but was your son aware, even though he wasn't living at home? I'm just curious. They were all aware. Um, we had the 17-year-old and 21-year-old. Okay. And the 17-year-old actually graduated high school at semester, you know, at the Christmas break. So she was getting ready Okay. shortly within a couple months to go be with her, her brother around there too. But, um, you know, they, everybody knew, like I said, it wasn't a secret and they knew via just by phone calls and, and talking and, and several months after that, you know, our son was doing stuff out of Lubbock that we would actually go every couple of weeks hence the picture behind this with the horse and stuff like that. Yes. Um, yes. So you have to be the travel to, we, Yeah. So we, we got to travel and, and go there all the time. So they, they saw her, even though they weren't in the house, they saw her a lot. They, they could still see a lot of the things that was going on. So I am interested. What is life like for you now, now that you're on the other side of this? Jeff, I'll let you start that one. Um, <laughs> There's been so much going on. It, oh, it's, for it's you a guys, daily yes. change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and when you say on the other side, I, I know what you mean, but for all of those and the way I feel, I don't know about the other side. I feel like I'm always in it. I just always feel like every day is, is, is just a new day uh, to look at it, you know, because the, the things we go through and, and every day is a life changer. There's so many things that we lost in the past with Brenton. There's so many things that we lost and, and I'm, I'm a very emotional person. So this part will be more difficult for me, but um, it's a good thing though, because even though we're on the other side, every day I see blessings that are just, just so amazing that we have to look forward to, but in the same turn, I, I wish Brent was here to enjoy them, but I also know he is enjoying them with us yes, um, and stuff like that. And, and I mean that by the, the twins that were just born and, mm-hmm. and, and the other, the other two um, um, grandsons of ours uh, and all that, he would just be so proud. 
So on this side of it, there's so many things that me and Stacy now try to grab hold of and just are so excited about and stuff like that too. There's still days though that we we so wish Brent was with us because mm-hmm. he he would love it so much and enjoy yeah. it so much. But but there's good things about it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Curtis, what about you? And you know, when I say the other side, I, yeah, yeah, I totally yeah, no. agree. I'm not talking about the other. You know, we we'll yeah, never yeah, be over this. Movie, you know. Yeah, like, but, the way I've always and I, and I still feel this way. Um, and I do it. And I know it sounds weird. People ask me, you know, you know, where you at? What's it like? When I get up to use the restroom, I still check on my kids and see if they're breathing. You know, I do that. And that's not something that other people do. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? People who don't get this. Yep. You know, my goals where I'm at now is I've never been so close to Christ as I have been. This threw me into school. This, this guided me this way. But every day I get up, my goal besides, you know, to do the best I can is to see my wife smile more and more a little more often. Mm. Get a genuine smile here and there because you don't get those often. You now you do your selfies and you compare them to five years ago. Yeah. They're different. The smile's different. So you hope to catch one for just so she's got a real one for a moment. And just, you know, we're making more days a little better. We're doing more things and we're, we're laughing more and we're we're not talking about the sadness more so is we're glorifying him and talk about how great, you know, how great he is. It was and all these things instead of you know, the mm-hmm. negativity There's a little more positive behind it, but mm-hmm. you still get up every day. You make sure your doors are locked. You make sure your kids are breathing. I mean, it's, I know it sounds mm-hmm. weird, but it's what I do. And I, and I'm not a good sleeper. So I'm up all the time touching mm-hmm. people, feeling them in and, and it's weird, mm-hmm. but the less I can do of that, I know it's a great day and that's what we're doing. And like I tell you, just, we're, we're going forward. We're getting better. It's getting, mm-hmm. it's, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. And I, one thing that I, I mentioned in, in talking to Stacy and Courtney, it was really fascinating and just, it was just so wonderful for me to hear them both say that they were so thankful to be alive and so thankful that they had husbands, you know, that stayed with them and how thankful they were for you and how thankful they are that you know with with the prescription drugs and the alcohol and the amounts of the drugs and the alcohol that both of them were doing both of them could very easily not be here now and um and i know there was even attempts at taking their own lives at at one point at least one of them so It's just so, it was just so wonderful to hear them say how thankful they are to still be here. And, you know, it's very obvious that you both are extremely thankful that right. your wives are still here. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know, uh, I, and I want her to know this, and I know she knows this, but um, there was never a doubt. I wasn't going anywhere. I needed her and she needed me. And, you know, I, I was I was going nowhere and I was never going anywhere. Um, to me, um, uh, 28 years, um, you're not running me off. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, I loved her and, and she's everything. So mm-hmm. I wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, just a real quick point. I, I told you about that. There's one day that stands out in my mind that will always stand out. And it was kind of like a changing point. Um, I told you I was working away from home. I always talk to Stacy every night. And I talked to her one evening and not that she was trying to do anything or anything like that, but I knew it was one of those nights. 
And I worked in the oil field and I was working all night around, the, you know, throughout the night. And I ended up a phone conversation about nine o'clock at night with her. And the last words to me, and I could tell the, the medicine and I could tell the alcohol was there way more than normal. And the last words to her was, I told her I would see her in the morning, you know, talk to her in the morning. Cause I'd always try to call her in the morning. And the response, Once I got back was very unsettling to me and it wasn't okay or I'll talk to you in the morning. It was a response to me that just jumped out and said something is wrong. I tried to call her back about an hour later and she didn't answer. And now we're talking 11 o'clock midnight Mm -hmm. and I called several times throughout the night. She didn't answer. I called at seven o'clock the next morning. She didn't answer. I cried all night throughout my job and I was about seven or eight hours away. The next morning, the first thing I told my boss, I called and I said, I got to go. I don't know what's wrong, but I got to go. And about 30 minutes later on the ride home of about a, I don't know, about a seven hour drive, um, Stacy answered the phone. It was one of the best feelings I'd had because I heard her voice. Mm. I I didn't know if I was ever going to hear her voice again. Mm. I was just scared that night. I was just scared. But that was also a game changer. On the phone, I told her, she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm coming home. And her response was, you don't need to come home. And I said, no, I don't need to, but I'm going to, mm-hmm. because I want to be there with you. She did not argue with me. She did not say anything, but okay, I will see you in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the day. And it seemed like that was the day. And we're talking two and a half or three years into this. That was the day to me that I'll remember for the rest of my life, because that was the day that she finally, in my eyes, said, I need you and I need mm-hmm. some help. By her not arguing or saying, mm-hmm. why are you coming home? All she just said was, okay, I'll see you in a little bit. That, that, was, that was the day. That was the day that I would say not the drinking or the stuff slowed up, but that is could be the day that we started being aware of it, more aware of it, and started trying to pay closer attention. And to me, that was the day that it changed. And that mm-hmm. was about, about three years into it. And it was just her finally answering me saying, okay, I'll see you in a little bit. Mm, wow. Well, I think we're going to wrap this up. This has been really good, guys. I just really appreciate this. I would like the listeners, I asked you beforehand, and you both said that you are willing, if anyone wants to contact you personally, Uh, because they are dealing with a similar situation. Both of you would be willing to email anyone, communicate with them if they need someone safe to talk to about this. So Jeff, what is the best way to connect with you if someone wants to? Mine on my email is J-S-S-N-I-D-E-R at rocketmail.com. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-A-I-L.com. Okay, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And Curtis, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, Curtis J. Stovall, that's C-U-R-T-I-S-J-S-T-O-V-A-L-L at gmail.com. Okay, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So uh, I would like to give you both a chance just for a final thought. What would you say to a listener who has a spouse who has found themselves in a similar situation? In my case, just speaking straight from where it's coming from, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare turn your back. Don't you dare think that there's not something uh, something else out there that 
it's worth being there for, you know, it's, it's, it's worth to keep going and know that you're not alone and know that there are people like you and I willing and ready to give what we can. So, and also maybe you can help us with situations that we're still going through. We would love to help you, but just keep pushing. That's my motto. Just keep pushing. I guess with me, the, the thing that I would like to everybody to know, and this was a big one is you're not alone. A lot of times I think people might think, Hey, I don't want to bother somebody because they might not know. Here's three people right here talking to each other that are in the same same situations to an extent. There is somebody out there that has gone through a similar situation. You just don't know. And by reaching out and touching and talking to people, um, it might be the help you need. So just just realize, don't sit there and, and be quiet about it or I wonder, I wish I could talk to somebody, you know, if you, if you need to know something, you know, reach out, talk to people, because I promise you this little circle of, of the breathing parents and stuff like that is a whole lot bigger than, you know, I did not know until we lost our son, just how many people there were out there um, in this situation that I was in. And I did not know that until I started talking to people and, and going to the events such as, you know, that you and, um, I'll put on and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you just you just don't know. So let people know you're not alone. Reach out mm-hmm. if you need to talk to somebody. Just reach out. You are not alone. Yeah, and don't don't take on the shame of it. No, <laughs> uh, you know, no, if absolutely you not. Take on the shame of it. You're not going to reach out. And uh, so yeah. Well, thank you both so so much. I just really appreciate both of you, and I consider you both friends. And uh, thank you so much. It was awesome. Did you know that you can join over a thousand other bereaved parents getting a weekly word of hope? Each Wednesday, I send out an email with a word of encouragement that is just for those of us who have lost a child. We don't share our email list with anyone. We don't send out a bunch of extra emails. And when you no longer want to receive them, all you have to do is click the unsubscribe link at the bottom of any of the emails. We also don't ask for a bunch of extra information from you, just your name and your email address. To get the weekly word of hope, just go to gpshope.org hope. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I also want to remind you to check out the website with all the different shirts available that have on them my weekly saying, hold on, pain eases, there is hope. Just go to our website, gpshope.org, click on the store tab, and then go to Hope Merchandise to see them. We don't raise the prices of these shirts, but the little bit that does come in goes directly back into GPS Hope to help us continue providing support and resources for bereaved parents. So to see them, just go where I directed you and you can place your order there. I will also put a link to the show notes that will take you directly to that page that shows all the different selections. And now it's time for this week's birthday segment. Colby Brown was born on May 17th and is forever 19. Jordan Slusher was born on May 17th and is forever 21. Christopher Rubin was born on May 19th and is forever 16. Ryan Drew was born on May 19th and is forever 31. 
We know how important our child's birthday will always be to us, and we celebrate with these families the day these children came into the world. If you would like to have your son or daughter announce the week of his or her birthday, I would be honored to do so. Just go to gpshope.org birthdays, fill out the information, including how to pronounce your child's name if it's different than it looks because I want to say his or her name correctly, and hit the submit button. Losing a child from this earth is a trauma. It is considered traumatic grief, and it doesn't matter the age of our child. Many of us, like Courtney and Stacy, also have PTSD based on the circumstances surrounding our child's death. You can turn to other things to numb the pain, but at some point you will realize you cannot continue on the path you are on because of how much you are hurting yourself and especially hurting those around you who love you and need you in their lives. We cannot go around the darkest part of grief. The only way is through it. I'm sorry. And like Jeff and Curtis both said, you are not alone. There are those of us who have been in that same place of suffocating darkness that's beyond what can be put into words, who want to get down into that pit with you until you're ready to have help to climb out. And for those who are like Jeff and Curtis, and you are with someone who is really struggling in this area, you have our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers. Keep going. Reach out to Jeff or Curtis if that would be helpful to you. It can be done. We can get through the darkest part of our grief. It's work, and it takes longer than we want it to, but it is worth it. Life can be good again. It will be good again. And you can have reasons to want to stay here longer instead of just wanting to go be with your child. I remember those thoughts and feelings. I wanted to go be with Becca. I didn't want to be here anymore. And I have four other children, two grandchildren, my husband. I had an international children's ministry, and I just didn't want to be here anymore because I could not imagine a future without my daughter. If you don't have any hope right now that it can happen to you, that you can want to live again and you can get through the worst part of the grief and the darkness, that's okay. We will be that hope for you until you have your own. Which leads me to my weekly closing statement, which is my acronym for HOPE, H-O-P-E. Please hold on. Pain eases. There is 